92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. We're off to a rocky start this morning, and it's all Fitty's fault. I just got to tell y'all right now, he's decided to be max annoying, trying to figure out what's going on during the show. He's feeling a little bit hurt right now, especially because we go into the studio and Colin Hoggard is going in on him as well. And Fitty's asking, wait, is it something that I'm doing? And the answer is yes. And then he provides examples immediately following. I just want to know, are you going to be like this throughout the rest of the show? Or are you going to finally tone it back just a little bit? I don't really know what you're talking about. I came in to work Mm -hmm. and you just started right off the rip talking, you know, talking sideways to me. And, uh, (laughs) you know, look, there's, there's some people in the building that they're going to take it, but you know, I'm not. Okay. And you know, I had to stand up for myself Mm -hmm. and, uh, even Westerger, we were coming down the hallway and he was like, yeah, Walker's been tripping on some Oh, is that right? Because I, I, I heard him make fun of you for eating fudge instead of Pop-Tarts on the way in here. That's what I heard in the conversation between you two. I didn't make fun, but I was just asking. I was trying uh-huh. to get clarity. Was that fudge? <laughs> just, was it fudge? I asked him like four times. I yeah, don't think I, I got me. some homemade peanut butter fudge back here. Sounds good. That I offered to Flounder. He rejected. And you didn't offer to us. But I'm... I'm now offering the invitation to you guys. I'm good. He's coughing too much for me. Uh, (laughs) The relation four days in a row. The relationship it's rocky. I love him, man. But you know, yeah. Well, and I'll tell you this: it's funny you mentioned that you're eating fudge this morning because I actually ate the remnants of my Christmas fudge last night, and it was really good. I finally got some homemade fudge as well. In a little Christmas story, Ben, one of my favorite Christmas story, uh, Christmas movies of all time. So I got Ooh. that. Yeah, the Christmas story is great. A Christmas story is it's, a fantastic movie. It's arguably movie. the most overrated Christmas movie of all time. No, it's oh. not. Oh, yeah. It's already so strong. NASCAR Brad writing in. My main man, Fitty, coming out swinging today. Did you guys watch the race this weekend? Did well, you? there was no race because during the offseason. We did hang out, though, with NASCAR Brad <laughs> to watch the college ball playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a great time. We ordered some pizzas and uh, had a great time. And the plan is to be back over there for the Daytona 500 because there's nothing better than sitting with NASCAR Brad, hanging out, drinking a few beers, mm-hmm. yelling at cars, going around Honestly, in circles. Honestly, I'm not even going to – I have no clue how that feels, but it sounds pretty awesome, to it, be honest it's, with it's, you. It's pretty fun. Yeah, I honestly, that would sound like a lot of fun, just drinking beers with someone, NASCAR Brad, who we always appreciate for writing into the show. And I didn't know if you might just be watching a replay because it's NASCAR Brad. I don't know if there is an offseason for NASCAR Brad. No, look, look, Brad loves NASCAR. He's not Smoke where Smoke watches the rerun of the 98 Goodies 500 every weekend. Brad loves college football, uh-huh. loves the Panthers. So he does, you know, venture out outside of auto racing. But he, at his core, he is a NASCAR diehard. I, w- one of the more impressed I've been since working at WFNZ is Smoke's ability to go to any race, any week, any location and tell you exactly what happened, the significance of that race, not only who won, but who came in second and third. It, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I should be NASCAR West. You should be NASCAR West because you, you work. I've and you, logged and you log- cut down pretty much every race over the last probably five years. If we did any kind of NASCAR trivia, it can be entry level or maybe if you feel like you could go a tier above, would you be good at it? Uh, 
I can't necessarily tell you like events and stuff like you said with Fitty, but I know the drivers. I know all that different stuff. And like I said, mm-hmm. I see every race. You don't watch the race really all that much, do you, Fitty? It depends. Like, I mean, I, I love, I mean, the super speedways because, you know, you're always there to watch the big crashes. So I'm there for Daytona, Talladega. I love Charlotte, whether they're on the Oval or they're on the Roval. So much fun. Um, and then I, I love short track races. So Bristol at night, no longer the same as it used to be. Martinsville is my favorite track. Last year really got me back into it. My little brother is a big NASCAR fan. So that's the biggest reason why I keep up with it because he's going to ask me about the race. But I'm not a every Sunday cut, cutting on. I, I watch baseball. Road courses are my favorite. You See, a lot of people short hate them. They're the shortest of law. Yeah, so you just you, you <laughs> did something short. And the easiest of law. There's not as much passing, though, right? So most, Yeah, most the people, easiest of law. Yeah, most people hate the the road courses because they're, they're not as fun as the ovals there. So we can talk a little bit more about NASCAR, maybe, when NASCAR season and Kyle is Bush back is my in full effect. Driver. Uh, and he would be. What? He would be your guy. Yeah, Bush is my guy. Oh, I, know. <laughs> I know. So I, I, we need to keep a running list of Wes's guys because yeah. Kyle, Kyle Bush, Bush is for sure on the list. I oh, mean, I can't stand Kyle Busch either. Even after the video he put when he was with his guys on the roof of Fahrenheit, uh, what was it? What, what's the what's what the do? what's the restaurant? Oh, Fahrenheit Fifty One or whatever. Or what did he like. do? Oh, the video it's cringy. Where he puts it out to the DMX song, and then he, it's just him and his guys walking across the rooftop, nodding their head, really cringeworthy like. <laughs> and you see, you need to watch the video. Okay, I'm that. I out. can't describe it. You only you can only watch the video to understand. You know what I'm talking about, Fiddy. Yeah. You saw that video. Oh, yeah. I've, it, I've seen it. It was one of the widest things I've ever seen in my life, and I look at you for three hours every day. Uh, it's it's the it's the most – you talked about me being pale. That <laughs> well, is, I just know he's arrogant. He likes to talk trash, and he can drive the wheels off of anything. All right. I know that. Yeah, uh, NASCAR Brad is saying, Smoke is the only person on planet Earth with more NASCAR knowledge than me. Look, man, NASCAR Brad, I know you have that nickname, but I, I would – I would attest to that. I would say that that smoke probably does have that kind of knowledge. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about NASCAR later on. Maybe not in this show. Maybe not in the next show. But just <laughs> just stick with us. Long we'll, we'll, time. Well, we yeah. got February, mid That's February. Right. That's right. We do have a lot more to get to. Sam Farber going to be joining us at two twenty. So basically, at the end of the show, to discuss tonight's game against the Memphis Grizzlies. We'll get word on some of the injuries. Kelly Oubre, unfortunately, undergoing surgery. He's going to be out four to six weeks at least. Post All-Star break is when you're expecting to see his return. We could see Cody Martin, though. So, you know, as the injury scales have to be, they have to be balanced with the Charlotte Hornets team. So hopefully Cody Martin can come back. Also, you can hear Steve Clifford talk a little bit more about that later on on the Kyle Bailey Show. The Fitty Favorites, we got that back in effect. That's coming up at 145. Speaking of movies, how about Disney movies? I don't know why Mulan is trending, but we just went with it and we decided to rank the top five Disney movies ever, according to one Josh Fiddy Marlowe. So we'll get to that a little bit later on. But we got to lead with the coaching news surrounding the Carolina Panthers. Jim Harbaugh, it looks like there is more and more potential for this thing to actually happen. We got everything we need. It's time to get off of the bus. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. So we're seeing this backed up after Will Kunkel of Queen City News had it first that there was a conversation between David Tepper and Jim Harbaugh about 
Jim Harbaugh potentially being the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. This conversation, quote-unquote, was not labeled an official interview. We know it can't be an official interview. We know he can't be officially hired until the Rooney rule is in effect, which means you have to interview two outside minority candidates. That does not include Steve Wilkes, just for clarity, who, yes, is black, yes, is minority, but he is currently the head coach. And so we don't have to go into full effect. Jim Harbaugh is going to get the head coaching job right now. But there certainly is a possibility, and we'll see what happens at the end of this season, how quickly this thing all comes together. Here's Will Kunkel talking yesterday, though, about how Steve Wilkes does deserve to be a head coach in the NFL based off what he's done the past 11 games. Steve Wilkes deserves a head coaching job in the NFL. Whether it's with the Panthers or not, I don't know. You want to have somebody that fits your culture. Steve Wilkes is fitting that culture. Do you want to go out and hit the reset button with Jim Harbaugh or another player, another coach rather? I don't know. But what I do know is that Dave Tepper has the money to do whatever the heck he wants. Steve Wilkes, Jim Harbaugh, the two guys towards the top of the list. One is currently coaching the Panthers and one we've already heard linked now after Will Kunkel had it. Joe Person kind of backed that up. A bunch of people did. Wes, who would you rather have if it came down to both of these candidates? Would you rather have Steve Wilkes continuing this job or would you rather go after Jim Harbaugh, see if he leaves Michigan and if he does eventually be the head coach of the Carolina Panthers? Would you feel better about that? Well, I said yesterday when we talked about this pre-show, I think this is a money play by Harbaugh. He's the 12th highest paid coach in college football, so I think that he's trying to drum up uh, these stories to get Michigan to give him the bag, to put him up in that top two or three tier, especially with his second college football playoff uh, appearance. But if I had to choose between the two, it's interesting because the same reasons why I might not uh, like Wilkes' offensive philosophy, Harbaugh is the same guy. So, um, as far as what they want to do. They want to run the ball. They want to play defense. But for the for the interest of radio and for me to be decisive and make a selection, I would have to go with Harbaugh just based off his resume with what he did uh, in the league previously uh, for my 49ers. Was I always thrilled with him as a 49ers coach? No, but he did take him to three straight NFC Championship games. He did take him to the Super Bowl. He has won big at every place uh, that he's been. He had Stanford on the map. He had uh, the 49ers on the map. And then he's got Michigan back on the map. So just his winning pedigree alone. Harbaugh is a culture builder. We saw every team that he's been at, he's transformed them. He took uh, Stanford to a tough-minded, physical football program. He came to the 49ers, and even though the 49ers are kind of thought of in the annals of history as far as being a finesse franchise with the West Coast passing and all that, he came and made them a tough, brutal football team. Uh, And he's done the same at Michigan with some tweaks to kind of update with the latest uh, trends in college football. So I would have to go with Harbaugh. Yeah, I tweeted out a link to how you can listen today on 92.7 FM with a a list of some of the topics we'll be discussing. And I put out there, would you rather have Jim Harbaugh or Steve Wilkes? John Hayes, who produces a lot of the college football podcasts for The Athletic, he wrote and responded, if you thought Matt Rule liked control, you should get to know Jim Harbaugh. And that is the scary thing, right? Because Jim Harbaugh has won 
anywhere he's gone, whether it be Stanford, whether it be the San Francisco 49ers, or now the Michigan Wolverines. And you've seen him actually build. It's not like he stalled out where there was some real pressure on Harbaugh, but eventually they do get to the college football playoff. You'd like to see him beat TCU, but he did establish a pretty nice college football powerhouse once again with the Michigan Wolverines. Do you want to relent all of that control again to a guy that technically is coming from the college ranks? Or would you rather stick with Steve Wilkes, where it does seem to be a pretty particular order with this organization? David Tepper, the owner. Scott Fitterer as the general manager. Steve Wilkes as the head coach. I think if you got Jim Harbaugh, I would be too worried about him having the whole 51% personnel control thing. That, that's something I would be worried about. We'll get to a little bit more in this. We have to go to break. But this topic, it's not leaving. The next question I do have would it leave a bad taste in fans' mouths? The fact that he is coming from the college ranks, just like Matt Rule did. We'll discuss that coming up on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Weston Walker Show off and rolling. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ just discussing whether you would rather have Jim Harbaugh or Steve Wilkes as the Carolina Panthers head coach. You can text in via the Garage Door Guru text line at 704-570-9610 and provide your answer to that question. Jay from Mount Holly, he was answering the question I had going into the break, whether you would have a bad taste in your mouth because they just hired a guy coming from the college ranks. Would you view that same thing happening here with Jim Harbaugh, despite him having success in the NFL? And Jay said, comparing Harbaugh to Rule just because they both would be coming from college is hilarious. When did Rule take an NFL team to a Super Bowl or three NFC championships? And that's how I feel. I don't think this is on even playing ground. And it's not like you would even be going back to the college well in the sense that it's comparable to Pete Carroll. Because... Pete Carroll was risky when you went after him the first time when Seattle went after him, right? Because we saw NFL experience didn't really work out. And then they go after Carroll and then it, it, it has worked out for him being the head coach of Seattle, right? This is not a, you know, it's not like a, an NFL team would be going back for Steve Spurrier after a failed stint in the NFL who, you know, he didn't get a second stint. It, it, it's Jim Harbaugh who had success and a lot of it. In fact, if you look at what he was able to do with San Fran, he went 44, 19, and 1 in four seasons as the head coach of San Fran. From 2011 to 2014, you look at that 2014 season, it was the last with San Fran, but he went 8 and 8. So 13 and 3, I think 11 and 4, 12 and 4, um, excuse me, 11 and 5, 12 and 4, something like that with the coaches or the, the years that he was coaching there. Awesome rushing attack. The passing attack was never great. And you're talking about Alex Smith as a quarterback and Colin Kaepernick, who, you know, Alex Smith was constantly just going to nickel and dime his way down the field. The ultimate example of game manager only threw for 4,000 yards once in his career, if I'm not mistaken. And that was his last year with Kansas City when Andy Reid finally opened up the offense. You transition to Colin Kaepernick, who even with Smith being dynamic with his feet. Kaepernick was obviously, you know, a freak, a, a reindeer running out there on the football field and showcased that talent on the football field. Even with them not being a prolific passing offense, I think the best they finished was like 23rd in yards, 16th in touchdowns. 
they never threw interceptions, which makes sense. It, and as I know, you know, you have a lot of people that don't like Colin Kaepernick, whether it be on the field or off the field. But the guy didn't throw that many interceptions at all. And that was the same with Alex Smith. So you did have a very low turnover total. And that's how their offenses ran, West. But they had great defenses there with San Fran, too. And Jim Harbaugh pretty much made the most of it. Coming up shy of that Super Bowl, but did have a miraculous second half comeback after the lights turned out and that whole legacy. So you're right. I mean, you've had success, even if you weren't exactly thrilled with Jim Harbaugh as a San Francisco fan all the time. He did have a lot of success with that franchise. That he did. And as I said, he just built a completely different culture there. Uh, in the Bay, when you talk about just the draft picks that they had, whether you're talking about Joe Staley or drafting out in Smith or, you know, and they had Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman there, and that defense was just loaded, uh, you know. And so he went to San Francisco, and then once Colin Kaepernick came into the equation, that just made the whole squad just take off because he was such a dynamic player uh, that a lot of people had trouble dealing with. Frank Gore, you could go on and on. And the passing attack, you know, they made the plays when they needed to when yeah. you're talking about Crabb and Vernon Davis and the guys that they had there. So Harbaugh's pedigree as a pro coach, you know, he showed you what he was about there. And as I said, he's won everywhere he's gone. He goes and he builds the culture up. It stays and he wins. And so that's the thing about Harbaugh that makes him so attractive to these NFL owners is the fact that he is a proven product uh, at this point with him winning to the degree that he's won. Him and Matt Rule is not even a comparison. Matt Rule didn't even uh, win the yeah. Big 12. So you talk about Harbaugh's won two Big 10 titles back-to-back, two straight college football appearances, what he did at Stanford. He had Stanford playing in big bowl games. So it's not even close. Well, and, and I think at the time that they let go of Matt Rule – and when it was clear that Matt Rule should not be the head coach going forward, I think a popular take was there's no way you can go back to the college ranks and get your guy. But Jim Harbaugh is different because of the success that he had with San Francisco. The question is, do you feel a little uneasy giving so much control to a guy that does need that? And he's very he is kind of, you know, similar to the college type of coaches in that regard, right, where he does want full control over everything. And that's exactly what was uh, what was uh, Will Kunkel talking about with us just yesterday when he joined us. He said that he's not too sure if Harbaugh would be the best fit for the Panthers because of that aspect. I just don't know that it's a great fit in culture. It doesn't mean it, it wouldn't work at all. But he also does have the mindset that the Carolina Panthers franchise and the fan base love. It's a two tight end, run the ball, play defense first, Bo Schembechler type of football. Does that work in today's NFL? And so, you know, Moose wrote in the, the Garage Door Guru text line, 704-570-9610, that Jim said he's going back to Michigan unless something changes. Well, something could change with all the money that David Tepper would throw to Jim Harbaugh. And I know that you still owe money to Matt Rule, but even with David Tepper only being the second richest owner in the NFL now, still plenty of money to do whatever he wants at the head coaching spot here. He can go after Harbaugh if he wants to. And it does. there does seem to be some reporting here that there's legitimate interest in an NFL return, even if he just signed a contract with Michigan, because there is an out. As soon as you get to, I think it's January 11th, if I'm not mistaken. I will try to clarify that and look it up. But there is an out if... If if the possibility you know warrants itself that he could go to the NFL, so by by no means do we have a confirmation on him sticking with Michigan. I think there is some real genuine interest. My question to you, Wes, is how much of the control aspect do you get a little scared of 
you know, giving all of that to Jim Harbaugh if he would be the head coach of Carolina? I would not be at all because, as I said, because of the pedigree, because of what he's been able to do. So I would not be afraid to give him control. It's just a matter of is he going to get along with Scott Fitterer uh, up there because we know the issues that he did have with Balky. Like I said, as a resident San Francisco fan, I was certainly uh, aware of those things. I wasn't a, a huge fan uh, of Trent Balky either, and the way that ended was just really bad. So that's the thing that you have to worry about is how much – does he value his relationship with Fitterer and can Fitterer and Harbaugh get along and be on one accord as far as what they want to do? Yeah, and, and Will Kunkel did tweet this out yesterday, too, in a conversation with Jim Harbaugh. The Michigan head coach told Queen City News, although no one knows the future, I think I will be coaching Michigan next year. That doesn't sound like confirmation. Uh, no one knows the future. You're leaving that open for a possibility. So I do view this as extremely realistic, that this could absolutely happen. Now, as we shift our focus to Steve Wilkes, we know the concern about maybe too much control for a Harbaugh. That usually doesn't work. Sometimes it does, but it is pretty rare. Even if he did have the success with San Fran, does that mean you could copy and paste and do that again here with Carolina? Steve Wilkes would be a lot more traditional in that sense where, hey, Steve, you just you're in charge of coaching. You're in charge of hiring an offensive coordinator. You're in charge of hiring a defensive coordinator. Probably would be Al Holcomb again coming back because that was Steve Wilkes guy in the first place always has been. And for me, I, I don't know if I would be, you know, I don't, I don't I wouldn't be too worried about either one of these coaches being here in Carolina. I think Steve Wilkes has earned it. I do. I think that the way that he's been able to get these guys playing a lot differently than when Matt Rule was here, plus you do need some kind of upgrade, in my opinion, at the quarterback spot, where if you're not running the football, I would like to rely on somebody that can go out there and win games. And that's not to take any credit away from Sam Darnold, but I, I can't fully entrust Sam Darnold with this offense to say, okay, go out there, pass the ball all over the yard, and then I feel comfortable winning the football game there. I do think that defensively, they need more pass rush on opposite, on the opposite side of Brian Burns. You do need some better linebacker play. You are without your top two corners going against Tampa Bay. You've been without Dante for a while. C.J. Henderson has been awful this season. And you've been, out with, uh, been without J.C. Horn in a couple of these spots. So there are, still some, there are still some personnel decisions to be made with Scott Fitter really helping out his head coach. And I trust Steve Wilkes to be that guy that can take them to the postseason next year, especially if the NFC South doesn't really get all that much better. And I think that's a very real possibility. So I would be cool with giving Steve Wilkes the head coaching job. There's a lot to like, though, with Harbaugh. So I, I know you like Harbaugh in this instance, but you know, are, are you still feeling a little uneasy if Steve Wilkes is that guy going forward as a, um, if David Tepper or Scott Fitterer makes that choice? Mm, um, because I'm thinking if you lose Sunday, you'd be hiring a coach with the losing record, essentially, as the head coach. Now, I know that, like I said, what he's done, turning the team around at 500 with him uh, as the head coach, and I've had my qualms with the philosophy going forward. He showed in the last couple of weeks, though, that he can add some wrinkles, and he can get a little funky if need be. Um, I think he deserves to be in consideration, but I think if he's not able to win this game on Sunday, I don't think I don't think he's the guy. Well, what's a realistic what's a realistic record when Matt Rule was fired? 
Like, what did you want this team to do under Steve Wilkes? Well, I wanted them to keep losing. Well, I know that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that stipulation, Wes. If you were a Panther fan, if you could imagine a hell, according to Wes yes, Bryant, yes, where you're sure. a Panther fan, yeah, yeah. what kind of realistic record, and Fiddy, we can get you in on this too, like, just trying to gauge the room, what you wanted to see in the next 12 games, mm-hmm. Steve Wilkes taking over Matt, for Matt Rule, where we were having a legitimate tank conversation. Right. Th- this was going to be a team where we were saying, hey, they're probably going to be drafting in the top five, and now they're going to be getting their quarterback. Damage had already been done at the beginning of the season with Baker Mayfield's awful play. Mm-hmm. Guys not playing hard for Matt Rule. You even switch up defensive coordinator spots, and I liked Phil Snow. Al Holcomb had, I think, a good run at the beginning. It's been a little bit – it's been a, a not as good here in the last few games – but I, I just don't know if I'm looking at this record and expecting, oh, man, they, they sure missed out on a lot of opportunities under now, Steve Yeah, Wilkes. and for me, it's not about necessarily the record. I'm just saying that if they do finish with that, that would make it a little bit harder for me. But I'm thinking in terms of if I'm a Panthers fan after Rule was fired, I wouldn't have expected much at all. And there wouldn't have been really a whole lot that he could do outside of having a, you know, Rich Basaccia type of finish to the season where he's two to three games over 500 before I could be like, okay, this guy could do it because it depends on what I can get. And we know the possibilities of getting that shiny new toy, the hot new coordinator or the red hot college coach to come in here. So it depends on um, what I could get. If I was a Panthers fan, that that would be my mentality as far as what I would expect out of Wilkes and how I would feel about him getting the job. I didn't want Carolina to necessarily lose games because it makes our job a lot harder but I thought it was in, the, in their best interest to lose. I thought they should have traded McCaffrey. I was in favor that they should have traded away Brian Burns. Like I was in favor of a fire sale because I thought that was what was best for the organization. And then Steve Wilkes came in, and he implemented and brought back the identity of what this franchise is, has been, and needs to be moving forward. A franchise that wants to run the ball, play good defense, be tough mentally, be tough physically. And so I I don't think it really matters what happens on Sunday because the Panthers should want to lose because it helps, you know, their their draft position. You're going to go through the process, and I think you're going to find out he's the best guy for the job right now. I think the biggest thing for him, and I heard Joe Person say this this morning on the Mac and Bone Show, is what does he sell sell David Tepper on on the offensive side of the ball? Mm -hmm. Because I don't think Ben McAdoo needs to come back. So what is Carolina's offensive identity moving forward? I think he proved that he's more than willing to – be creative on that side of the ball. Be aggressive when when it when it benefits the team the most. Well, and and that's that's the other thing about this. The number one criticism about Steve Wilkes has been it being a very vanilla offense. There are a lot of people that liked the whole ground and pound, let's be more physical thing, and it's worked in a lot of these games. But to your to your opinion and to some of the the cases you brought up, Wes, you were worried about it being a little too vanilla, which I totally understand. Steve Wilkes is definitely high high uh football guy like this you know let's make sure we control the line of scrimmage and and the old messaging and stuff like that but it worked i just thought that's what they had to do with the personnel around him remember this offseason you're going after austin corbett who has been a very good offensive lineman but he was a better run blocker with la when you signed him you signed him because you wanted to be a better running football team you went out and got bradley bozeman Bradley Bozeman, as we know, struggles in pass protection at times, 
But that guy was the center for the number one rushing offense the last few years with Lamar Jackson and whoever is the running back with Baltimore. They all get hurt. But you got a run-blocking center. So they built this team. Who'd you draft? Sixth overall. You, you drafted the offensive tackle that was available that had the most questions about his pass protection. That wasn't with Charles Cross at Mississippi State, who played in a Mike Leach offense, and that wasn't with Evan Neal, who probably is the archetype prototypical left tackle. You got Iki Kwanu, who was a run-grade guy. And so you built this offensive line to be able to run block as good as any. And now you're talking about DJ Moore being a good wide receiver with this team and Terrace Marshall, who you're trying to bring along, who also didn't have all that much off-season reps because of some of the uh, health injury, or it's because of some of the, uh, excuse me, health problems that he had. Robbie Anderson, I mean, <laughs> certainly not the receiver he was two years ago. This team was built to run the football. And so if Steve Wilkes is going to be the permanent head coach, you have to imagine he knows that, and he would like to be able to be a little bit more prolific in the passing game, which means putting your quarterback in a better situation. The offensive line has pass protected pretty well this year, but maybe you want to address the QB spot. Maybe you want Sam Donald to be the bridge to a younger QB for the future. Maybe that's true. Maybe you want to get a different offensive coordinator and tailor the personnel a little bit more to being a better passer passing offense. But I, I think the reason the offense has been more so run-heavy and vanilla, if you will, is because that is what the personnel dictates. I can agree with that. And I think that he would be able to change and adapt if the personnel changed or was just tweaked a little bit. Because I'm not looking for some overhaul. you got some nice pieces there. But if you tweaked it a little bit, I think Steve Wilkes could be a guy that is successful with that. Yeah, I mean, I can get on board with that as far as uh, you know tweaking the pieces. Because the thing about being a running football team is that, you know, can you be dynamic in your rush attack and also be efficient in your passing game? And so when you look at some of the best teams at running a football, Baltimore, when they're at their most, uh, when they're at their healthiest, you know, you have Lamar Jackson, arguably the most dynamic player in football, who's capable of dominating a game running the ball, but then he can also go to the air and hurt you as well. Uh, you look at the the Philadelphia Eagles. They're also a very balanced offensive attack. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys are pretty uh balanced as well and then you know my 49ers are also very balanced uh too so i think that's the thing to your point what you want to see is can the panthers maintain this also be a little bit more dynamic in their rushing attack we've seen a little bit of rpo out of them in some recent weeks but for the most part they're lined up in four yards in a cloud of dust but can you get to the point where you have an efficient passing game that can make big plays when need be? Um, let's go to a few texts before we get to the first fitty flash. 704 number wrote in. Wilkes proved he's in over his head. He opted to punt from midfield twice in the first half. I do think we've had... <laughs> and look, I had a problem with that too. Why? Well, they were up 14 to nothing. But for me, no, they they weren't at the first punt. I think they were up 7 nothing, if I'm not mistaken. But both times they, they had the lead, were you giving Tom Brady a short field? At that time? Oh, I wanted to I wanted to extend the offense so you didn't allow Tom Brady on the field. And and I think that with this with the way that they've been mostly, not in this game for sure, but successful running the football, then I would have liked to have tried that. And Sam Darnold got close, right? He 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 did the right thing by pulling that from Chuba Hubbard and then getting it close on one of the plays. I thought that was a game management problem, but I mean, overall, Fiddy, I think your point is is right. I'm not going to not give Steve Wilkes the job because of that decision. I had some game management problems with him, but it doesn't mean that I think he couldn't do a good job as the permanent guy. Well, let's let's look around the NFL. How many coaches are great game managers that manage time, score, everything? 
there aren't that many of them. And so you're talking about a guy in 12 weeks, he did a better job than Matt Rule did in 28 games. That's true. Well, that's the thing, too. I hate when fans start getting to the point where they nitpick a coach off of something like that to say he's in over his head. Because, again, I point to the fact right. that if any of us were head coaches, you're going to make some decisions that people are not going to agree with. And to the point about this specific play, I didn't mind it either because it, with what we've seen from the Tampa Bay offense and the fact that the Panthers came out as hot as they were, why wouldn't you punt it and punt it back to the Tampa Bay offense that you feel like is not going to be able to move the ball successfully against you. So I have no problem with that. And when you start getting into a little nitpicky stuff like that to say God doesn't deserve the job, I think that's just stupid. Yeah, and, and even if Unless I it's consistently sure. happening. Right. I mean, I think we can understand there are reasons to, to both sides of that argument. A few other ones saying, you know, Simon says, you know, saying, quote, he's better than Matt Rule is a hilarious defense of Wilkes. Uh, yeah, he is better than Matt Rule, for sure. But it doesn't mean that he can't just be an outright good coach on his own, disregarding what Matt Rule is. I mean, the guy's 500 with the personnel that if you reach 500 over the course of the season, probably in the playoffs right now. I mean, that that could have happened. So they, they win the division, I think, if Steve Wilkes starts the season as the head coach. They're certainly in a lot better position. They're in a lot better position. You think they're still losing because to Cleveland that's such a, and the Giants? No, well, no and, it's just that that's such a hindsight kind of 2020 thing to say because you know Tampa could go back and say well if this or that would have happened they'd be winning 12 13 what games game and the gets, Saints could say it, if this or this could happen so that's kind of I get you uh, I can't really go back and say that I'll tell you this they would have been a lot more prepared week in and week out under Steve Wilkes I can, compared to Matt I can Rule. rock with that yeah and and I, I'm with you like on the whole they would have won if thing there's so many yeah. different things that can happen but I don't think that's also a crazy take to say either all right let's go to the first 50 flash we're well behind what's up man <laughs> All right, Walker, uh, the commanders have announced that they are going back to Taylor Heineke at quarterback because they were eliminated from the postseason over the weekend. And and, uh, and rookie fifth-round pick, former UNC quarterback Sam Howell, will also see snaps this Sunday against Dallas. Two questions, guys. Is this the end of Carson Wentz as a starting quarterback in the NFL? And on the flip side, what does this mean for the future of Ron Rivera in our nation's capital? Well, I heard Chris Canty talking about this on ESPN, going back and forth to different quarterbacks when it does seem to be pretty clear the team plays a little harder with Taylor Heineke at the QB spot. And then when you go to Carson Wentz, you lose in a meaningful game that has playoff implications on the line. Chris Canty was discussing that's how you lose a football team. Now, Ron Rivera has done an excellent job throughout his career not losing the locker room. That was not the case here in Carolina. David Tepper was just frustrated with two second half collapses. But those guys played extremely hard for Ron, so I don't know if that's fair speculation, but it's a different team, different time in Washington. So he's certainly on the hot seat um, 100%. At the end of the day, they still need to get a better quarterback because I don't feel good about Heineke or Carson Wentz under center. Yeah, I think that was a decision that may have sealed Ron Rivera's fate for him to go with Carson Wentz because he got in and mop-up duty against the 49ers and play well. I thought was an asinine decision. We know Carson Wentz's uh, body of work at this point. I think he should have stuck with Heineke. It was a terrible decision. And, uh, you know, I think it's time for the commanders to search for new leadership. All right, it's the Wes and Walker Show. One more segment in the first hour. Let's talk about Charlotte football. How about getting an ESPN commitment announcement? That was awesome to see from my alma mater. We'll discuss that in just a moment. It's Sports Radio 92.7 FM.
Wes Bryant's favorite thing in the world. High school prospects, college prospects even, one, announcing where they're going. And then when you hit the transfer portal, giving this big yellow notepad <laughs> screenshot about how appreciative you are with the previous school, but it's time to move on. Do you mind a Darrell Robinson type going on ESPN and announcing it? It's really strictly the transfer portal announcements, right, that you have a problem with with some yeah, of these prospects? Yeah, because I was asking you, you know, I know it wasn't like a signing day type presentation, but I forgot the Under Armour game is going on, and the kids make announcements during that all week. Yeah, I, I don't mind that at all. So, so that's what happened. As we visit the campus corner now, how about the Charlotte 49ers? At least as far as I can tell, the first time in football history, their football program history, running back Darrell Robinson announced his commitment to Charlotte on ESPN, and you see Biff Pogey still being able to turn around this roster. This is the second win in a row that we. We've talked about for Charlotte football and mm-hmm. Poji, right? Grant DeBose, awesome wide receiver, crazy talented, exits the transfer portal, and he entered it after Will Healy was fired, and you thought he might go on to a Power 5 school, but nah, he's coming back to Charlotte, and now Darrell Robinson, one of the top-ranked recruits in high school football, not top 100, I believe 177th overall, 23rd running back prospect. That is the man that is going to play football for Biff Pogey. Wes, you and I, we're on the Pogey bandwagon, and it looks like he got another win yesterday in the public eye. Yeah, I like what he's doing, man. Like I said, coming off the hills, getting this guy who is the highest-ranked running back recruit in 49ers history, according to 247, because you know so many services. You get, it depends on who you ask. But they also got Walker, too. They added their highest-ranked quarterback recruit ever, getting Carson Black, flipping him over from Memphis. So you have to love what Biff Pogey is doing now, uh, you know, not to speculate too much, but as I said, you know, I think those trust fund buddies are going to serve him well uh, in Charlotte to help him get some of that NIL skill up. But no, this is a good gift for them. And just nationally for kids to see uh, someone saying, I'm going to Charlotte uh, on a broadcast like that on ESPN, especially kids in this area, can do nothing but help. So not only have they recruited and flipped. Especially in the All-Star game. Yeah, and not only have they recruited a Darrell Robinson, also getting Carson Black to flip his decision from Memphis, but they're also hitting the transfer portal really hard which might scare you because, well, Healy did that, but this is a little bit different, right? You're talking about an Ole Miss pass rusher coming into town, a Maryland offensive tackle, a Pittsburgh wide receiver, some Power 5 talent that was able to at least get to the Power 5 out of high school. Now they're going to go play for Charlotte, and you're getting top-notch recruits. This is what you expected from the young, energetic, club-lit Will Healy, and in reality, the best players that he ever had with Charlotte were guys that Brad Lambert recruited. Look at Alex Highsmith in the NFL being a beast right now with Pittsburgh. Brad Lambert recruited him. His teammate, Larry Okunjobi, high draft pick. Brad Lambert recruited him. A Victor Tucker, who was an awesome wide receiver. Brad Lambert recruited him. Now, you do have, not to say that he was void of recruiting talent, Will Healy. Elijah Spencer, Grant DeBose, awesome gets. But it looks like we're going to a different level here now with Biff Pogey and especially with the track record going back to his high school days coaching. We know the guy can get some talent. It, it looks good. If you're a Charlotte football fan, it obviously has to translate to wins, but it's looking good right now for that group of five schools. Yeah, you got to be excited for him. As I said, and the thing about Coach Pogey is that 
the pedigree. He won wildly successfully in the high school or at the high school level. Been at Michigan under Jim Harbaugh. We know what they've been able to do. So he's going to come and bring a culture there. He's already talking the talk. He's walking the walk right now as far as recruiting goes. So we'll see if that he can keep on walking and hopefully won't need a cane or anything like that down <laughs> the line. But he's walking it right now so far in Charlotte. You got to like what you're seeing. All right. Uh, Chip Patterson made a weekly appearance on the Kyle Bailey show yesterday and was talking about the NCAA tournament possibly expanding. Let's get to that soundbite right now. I don't like the expansion because now you really do have that Syracuse team that could show up in Greensboro, lose its first game, and know that it could go to the NCAA tournament. Like There there would just be a lot of teams that would not have that same kind of urgency that, in my opinion, has led to some really fun basketball uh, in those conference tournaments going into all across the country. I mentioned the ACC, but all across the country, we start conference tournament week with about three to four teams in each conference where you're thinking – they need to win at least one to be able to feel good about on Selection Sunday. And I think tournament expansion, especially at the power conference level, really starts to change the math. So that soundbite on the Kyle Bailey show was in response to a recommendation by the NCAA Division One Transformation Committee issued Tuesday that they would expand the tournament to 90 teams. 90 is way too much for me. I wasn't even in favor of expanding it to the 68 that get in now, having the first four play-in games. Even if you've had some Final Four teams from that first four-in type of, or last four-in type of group, right? I still don't like expanding it to 90, what do you think about possibly No, not at all. It would pretty much deem the regular season irrelevant. I mean, you're talking about the ACC. They get pretty much 13 teams in a year if they went to 90 <laughs> teams. So it's it's just too much. I think it needs to stay where it's at. Well, at I least like you know the, Lake would make it every year. Well, yeah, but I like the way urgency, <laughs> uh, I like the urgency in the regular season for teams, especially when it comes down to the end, them being on the bubble, et cetera, and having to play hard to get in, win tournaments, et cetera. So, no, I'm not in favor of and, this. And we know if North Carolina keeps this up, they would get in in this 90 expansion <laughs> field, so that would be good for Heels fans. Look, this is coming from a college basketball diehard. That's sports the reason why I do the job I do today. You expand it to 90 teams or more, I'm done. What's the point? What is the attractiveness to watching it? Because you got to give so many teams probably a bye, you know, the first round or two, and then take taking away from what championship week means to those small schools would just be a death kill to the sport. It would basically just become the Power Five, and nobody wants that. We just had maybe the greatest modern tournament of all time, where a 15 seed of St. Peter's upset Kentucky, upset Purdue, and made the Elite Eight. And you want to get rid of that potentially by expanding so 16 and 15 Cal can make the tournament? It's not worth it. And Stanford P writes in that it's about money enough already. Oh, 100%. It's not that we're naive to why this is going on. Always about the Skrilla. But we can talk about how bad it would be for the NCAA tournament. When you're expanding this much, right? Like, what was it the last time they expanded? Like, four teams, something like that? It wasn't that big of a deal when they went from the 64 to the 68. Well, it it was three. Because remember, you used to have the play-in game. Yeah. So you were 65 teams. There you go. You got down to 64. Now you've got two play in you know right? you got four play in games. But you're talking about over over twenty? Yeah. That that is that's a monster expansion that is watering down the product. And Chip is right. I mean, think about Wake Forest losing to Boston College. The reason last year in the conference tournament. 
that wouldn't have kicked him out in this field. And honestly, I want those games to have a big, big magnitude. Right. right? You're, you're talking about that just not having that much meaning anymore. So I'm totally with you, Fiddy. I, I, I hope it doesn't happen. It took us to 1254. But you and I have finally agreed on something. There you go. We agreed on something. <laughs> more Kumbaya coming up from me and Fiddy. Next, two more hours to go. Wes and Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 FM.